I am so excited to share with you guys my love for Catbird NYC, one of my favorite makers of jewelry on the planet. A few years ago, I was exploring Williamsburg, Brooklyn for the first time, and I happened to walk into this really sweet brick and mortar store, and I looked around and I saw that it was filled with the most delicate, beautiful, sparkly jewelry, all of which seemed like if I dreamed up a line or a type of jewelry, this would be it. I'm the kind of person that wears the same jewelry to go swimming in the morning that I wear to a formal wedding that same night. The thing about the jewelry that they make at Catbird is that it is jewelry that has this ease of wear and this sort of quietness that just slips into your life and you can put their jewelry on and you never take it off. And the thing that they became super popular for originally are these stacking rings, like these beautiful, delicate 14 karat gold stacking rings that you can layer and have this really delicate aesthetic. So if you're gonna spend money on something that you want but don't really need, do it with Catbird because it is an investment in yourself. You'll feel confident and beautiful in Catbird jewelry. Go to catbirdnyc.com. Welcome to Little Known Facts a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today. She was studying acting at Carnegie Mellon when suddenly she thought, what if instead of studying Uta Hagen's acting technique from her book, I went to New York and studied with Uta Hagen herself? And so she did and never looked back. Welcome Katie Finneran to the podcast. Hey, okay. Hey everyone, my guest today is the two-time Tony Award-winning actress, Katie Finneran. Some of her Broadway credits include It's Only a Play, Annie, Promises, Promises, Noises Off, The Iceman Cometh, Cabaret, Proposals, The Heiress, In the Summer House, My Favorite Year, and Two Shakespearean Actors. She performed with an all-star cast in Sondheim's Company with the New York Philharmonic. Some of her many TV credits include Bloodline, The Michael J. Fox Show, I Hate My Teenage Daughter, The Inside, Wonder Falls, and Bram and Alice. She has appeared in many films, including You've Got Mail and Night of the Living Dead. And I am so excited <laughs> to welcome my friend Katie Finneran to the podcast. Hello. I'm so happy to be here today. It's so heady, two-time <laughs> Tony Award-winning actress Katie Finneran. 
Maybe you're used to it by now. You know what I thought when I, when I, it's funny, when I won the first time and the second time, all I thought was, okay, now at least I know I can get a job in Poughkeepsie anytime I want. Can you? Is that true? I'm really hoping. <laughs> Hasn't gone to that yet, but I'm hoping that's true. I want the business. I want that to be true. I feel like now it's like, yes, you could, but we also need a vial of blood. <laughs> Because there's not that and many George parts. Clooney. George Clooney. Yeah. <laughs> you know what? We have a list that we're going out to for the Poughkeepsie rep. Yeah. And Katie, we Katie love Finneran you. Like. We, someone like Katie Finneran we need Let's for that Let's put a pin in Katie. <laughs> no, no, no. It's not an offer. We're putting a pin in her. I've had so many pins in me. Have you You're like a so voodoo doll you? of yourself. No, I feel like I'm the girl that's like there in case we start shooting and we're really screwed and the insurance days have all been bought out and we still can't get that deal with Reese Witherspoon or whoever, yeah. or whoever uh, you know, whoever that person is. Um, uh, we've got Katie. <laughs> we know she can do it. In my early career, <laughs> no, um, back no judgment. when I was when they started doing talkies, when I first started the talkies, in film. Yes, I remember. <laughs> One of the very We all had jokes. to take speech lessons because <laughs> we all like, talked hey, like this. Hey, what's the matter? Elana, are you doing that audition? <laughs> yeah, she's English, right? <laughs> she's supposed to talk in it. Are you going to talk? Anyway, all of this to say the film was Last Exit to Brooklyn. It was oh, a very big deal. Everyone was reading for it. Jennifer Jason Lee, yeah. blah, blah, blah. And... I go in and I read, and it's one of those moments where the casting director is like, thank you. Thank you. This is exactly what they want. And she's like, Alana, Alana, (laughs) oh, my God. I come back. It's it's at a place where they hold auditions for all sorts of things. So you would pass by different casting directors. I think it was called Three of Us Studios. Three of Us, of course. And so literally, like, I'm back a month later for something else. And on the cast bulletin board with all the headshots of the characters who had been cast, Jennifer, Jason Lee, and like, I don't know, some other famous people, there's my picture. What? I, it's on there. There's my headshot. And what? It's like, she's like, I'm telling you, it's yours. There's just <gasps> a couple of like, we're not up to making offers on those on roles that role. yet. I just want to say my headshot's still up. <laughs> Your headshot, the building has come down, and your headshot remains. That film, film tethered to one pole, one supporting beam. That's right. It had. It, it was in a theater. It was on, you know, uh, VHS cassettes. Yeah. That it went to a DVD. It's on, you know, probably oh any of gosh. your viewing devices. I'm not in that film, but as far as I'm concerned, I'm actually the star. You're the of star that of that film. Who yeah. got the part that you do you know? Did you see the film? Did we boycott the entire production? I didn't. I didn't. Um, I don't remember. Isn't yeah. it so painful? It's or, but so... everyone go in. They'd be like, oh, my God, Alana, I'm just over it. Oh, my God. I'd be like, the three I of us. <laughs> I am starring in the casting office of the three of us production of Last Exit to Brooklyn. So I live in Brooklyn now, and that's really... All I want to say. All the, the only connection you can tether to that experience is that you live there now. I live there. So, Katie, yes. who does not live in Brooklyn, you were born in Chicago, but that is not where you grew up. So funny. I, I was born in Chicago. I grew up in Miami, though. We moved when I was seven. Okay. And uh, Miami was great because I think if I lived in Chicago still, I wouldn't know any black people or Jewish people. As they a kid, we're not you know, living in your neighborhood. I don't think so. I don't remember that. So when I moved to Miami, I was seven, and it's like all my friends were then black and Jewish. So I kind of thought the whole world 
looked that way and was that way. And those were my best friends. And so I really feel like I'm, I'm Miami. It was such a, a, a blessing. tumultuous time, though, in Miami because the Marialitos had just been released to the Cuban people. And it was kind of violent and drugs and, you know, um, what do they call it? Uh, cowboys. Um, my husband's going to kill me. What's it called? The, <laughs> the cocaine. Cocaine cowboys. Yes. Because I was a drug dealer. <laughs> I was a drug dealer when I was seven. Wait, Nobody suspected. Why did you, why did your family move? You know, my moved? parents had lived in Chicago for 35 years and they were just fucking cold. Yeah. And they were done. And the they wind thought, over that lake oh is my brutal. God. And so they thought San Francisco or Miami. And I think they, we went to visit, I remember visiting San Francisco and it was too expensive maybe, too many hills, it was too hilly. Yeah, it's hard and to push we that up, stroller up that hill. Really hard. We what wound up were in Miami. their professions? Oh, my father was a stockbroker uh, and then my mother was a PE teacher. And the school that I went to, uh, I remember they were, I was hearing the principal talk to my math teacher and she said, you know, we really do need to replace this, this PE teacher. She's moving, she's having, and I was like, um, excuse me. My mother's a PE teacher, and I got my mom the job, and she stayed there for 40 years That's at incredible. that school. Yeah, so my mom was a PE teacher. She ultimately became a counselor and then a vice principal. So she's uh, she went back to school when I was in my early teens and got her master's, and um, she's incredible. Do you have siblings? I do have a sibling. I have an amazingly interesting sibling, Denny Finnerin, and he is one of those outward bound, I think, changed his life. Uh, he went into the woods one day, and he just never returned. He uh, loves the uh, Grateful Dead culture when he was a kid and has always been his own person. We both have, actually. My parents are like, I don't know who birthed you people, but, you know, you don't come glad from us. Glad you're here. Yeah, glad you're here. And my brother uh, uh, developed a company called Crucial Creations, and he makes um, clothing. And now he's involved in CBD oil, which really helps a lot of people with um, epilepsy and my Cocaine dear friend, Cowboys? Cocaine Cowboys. <laughs> my dear friend, Michael J. Fox. Parkinson's. Thank you, Parkinson's. It helps people uh, with all sorts of ailments in their bodies. And he, he actually wants to make it available to people all over the world for uh, uh, the proper price because right. because it's so exciting right now. It's everybody wants it, everybody needs it. They're you know you're selling a little bottle for three hundred and fifty dollars, and he wants to make it available to everyone for you know nominal fee. He so makes he's a little an money. incredibly good person. He's a really good person. He's been all over the world. He's been to countries I didn't even know existed. He went to the stands just for fun, like Kazakhstan and Pakistan, and you know. Afghanistan, you know, he kind of snuck in there and he just wants to... You're like, to... I've been to Stanley Tucci. <laughs> Stanley Tucci and I did a reading together. <laughs> Is that, that and counts? It wonderful. It does count. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and so he's just an incredible guy. He speaks fluent Spanish. He uh, has um, has land in Belize. He has a, he built his own home in, in, in uh, Arizona. And he's got long, long, if you know what I look like, if you're listening to this, you probably know what I look like. Uh, I, he has very long uh, blonde dreadlocks down to his ass, and he uh, looks just like me, but he's like looks like Jesus. I remember I was doing a show at Lincoln Center once, and he came in, and Helen Toth, who was the the costume uh, supervisor, said, "He's here, Jesus." Jesus is here. And uh, he, he wears like cream hemp color clothing. And he's just amazing. All An right. incredible guy. But that is a wonderfully descriptive. I feel like we all have a sense of Denny right now. Oh, good. I'm so glad. Because yeah. no one ever asks me about him. And I'm really glad that I was able to, uh, to, to talk about him. That's so lovely. So when you got to Miami mm -hmm. and warmed up yes. after the, the frigid 
Chicago weather. At some point, you found yourself falling in love, I can imagine, based on what's happened Yes. thereafter with the performing arts. Yes. I, you know, I was 12 years old and, uh, I, you know, like I said, it really opened me up culturally and I really loved um, the people around me. And, and talking to different people, I heard these two girls talking about an art school. And my mother told me years later that she knew about it, but she put the kibosh on it because she didn't want to drive me to school every morning. Too far. God bless you, Ma. Yeah. But um, so I sort of wiggled my way in there, and I got into a program in the University of Miami when I was 12. And it was for 12 to 18-year-olds. And I, it was like hardcore training and uh, the su- summer program. And I remember the greatest award that I ever won. I didn't even know it was an award. I didn't know they were going to give an award. They were going to give an award to each class. And it was from 12 to 18-year-olds. And I think some college students also. But I remember just falling in love with the work of it and the skill of it and the lessons, the, the speech and the checkoff and what a set is. And uh, it, was, it was hardcore college training. And I was such a young girl. And They gave me the award for my class. And then at the end, there was like an overall camper award. And I got this award. And I remember going like, not expecting it, not not knowing anything about it. It was like, wow, they recognize that I'm really serious about this. And I am. And what an amazing honor to have been chosen for this. And then I got, and I wiggled my way into another school. You're a wiggler. I am. Performing arts school. I just say, this is what I'm doing. Um, enjoy your life. I'm going to do my... I'm actually in this class. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry. Were we supposed to sign up? No, no, no. It's all good. So I auditioned for this performing arts school. I missed the first two, seventh and eighth grade because okay. my mom didn't, you know... Didn't want to drive But then you. I found out about it and I was like, there's this thing. So I left... <laughs> She's like, no, there's not. <laughs> So I nope. left this other school and had to take a bus far away and go to this. People asked me, well, you didn't have any friends there. I was like, friends? Who cares? There's a theater program. So I went to the night. The ninth- costumes are my friends. <laughs> the, the, char- the characters are my friends. Then that song, I, my father, oh, my father, and my father thinks I'm mad. It's like that Stephen Sondheim song. Anyway. Um, I'm just in heaven like that two... within 10 minutes, I have Katie Finneran singing on my podcast. We could literally it's be like, done right like, now. Thinks I'm mad. One of those weird Stephen what Sondheim notes. That from? I can't remember, and I probably got the notes wrong, but it's uh, Mad Mad World. It's like a TV program he did a million years ago. Oh, my goodness. It's like this weird song. You think she has, like, schizophrenia. Anyway. But what does she have? She's like a doll in a department store. She's a doll. She's not schizophrenic. Only two people listening to this maybe know what I'm talking about. Actually, based on the Broadway acumen of my listenership, many more than two people know. If my father thinks I... But anyway, um, I used to do that song, and someone said, don't do that song because you seem crazy. (laughs) (laughs) Well, this is my feeling. I think you should do that song, but I feel like you're not committing to it. I'm not because I'm getting the notes wrong. I'll do it for you later. I got to rehearse, though. Okay. So anyway, I'm sorry. This is so long. Go rehearse and come back. I hate karaoke, by the way. hate it. I used to go karaoke with Bobby Cannavale and this bunch of really fun people, and we uh, would go karaoke and it was a really fun cultural fun thing to do with your friends and I hated it because I was like I don't know what key it's gonna be in I don't know the tempo the rhythm when do I what a, a light of words comes up and and then I couldn't get funky enough like I remember um 
people would stop by, like celebrity guests would stop. Is this like a Rose's see. turn? Like where no, were you guys? No, it's like a private Christ. Japanese oh, like fancy. booth that we'd all chip in money and we'd spend all night there drinking and um and singing and singing and uh, it was uh, yeah. Anyway, I couldn't. I'd be like, every little thing she does is magic. Every little thing just turns me off. And Bobby would be like, just come on, get in the group. Just feel like, it. Every little thing she does is, ooh, ah, yeah, yeah. I am feeling it, Can't Bobby. Can't do it. Can't do it. So anyway, back to my story. Got into school. And then I got into a, a, a performing arts school called Payback, which is I took another bus. So I would go to school at 7 in the morning and then take a bus at 3 o'clock. That was an hour away to an, a college in Miami, and it was called Payback Performing and Visual Arts Center. And I would go there to like eight o'clock at night. And, then and are back. you at this point? Have you found like, oh, I sing, I sing pretty good. No, this was never about singing. Not singing. I'll tell you something about acting. my singing. And I and I say I say this karaoke uh, aside. I'm, I'm 47 today, by the way. Today's my birthday. What? Yes, 47. Today's Katie my birthday. Thinner, and look at what I'm giving you for your birthday. And smart water. Oh, thank you, smart water. <laughs> and I was, you know, it's funny. When I was five, I think my greatest gift that has been given to me is that I've always known what I wanted to do. When I was five, we were watching The uh, Sound of Music, Alison Pill. Also, I have ADHD. I should tell you about that later. It's like my mind is just 500 choices, and I just have to pick one and talk about it. So I'm watching The Sound of Music, and I kind of asked a couple questions. I was like, how do they do that? And... Those are not real people, right? And, okay. And then I was asked to do a performance when I was five of The Christmas Show. And I performed in front of the entire audience. And I finished, and I went, oh, this is kind of like that Sound of Music thing. I went, oh, this will be my life. And that was it. So no matter if I was, you know, uh, waitressing or being a hostess at a mafia bar or... Uh, sweeping the floors or mopping the floors at a gym, um, I always knew that I was an actress, and that was that. It was it just it never mattered to me. Nothing mattered. It was always that was my life, and whatever, you know, just kept thinking that's my life. Like, yeah, I'm mopping floors right now, and I'm making a shake for you, and I'm spilling food all over you, and don't know how the computer works, but uh, I'm an actress, so. First of all, that answers my question. Did you ever have other jobs? Well, you know, sounds like you had lots of other jobs. But the thing that I feel I feel sad for other people when they question it, when they doubt it, when they go, "Oh, I don't, you know, I don't know if I can do." I just, it's a blessing that I have. I don't. I didn't try. I mean, I do have to nurture it and go like, oh, "I know this is a rough patch," but I just always felt like I'm an actress, and that's that. So it's incredible. Yeah, I'm going to cater for you, and I'm going to go babysit your kids while you're in Mexico, <laughs> and I'm going to, you know, clean your house. And but I'm an actress, so I'm going to clean your house like I'm an actress. That's it. Just never. I'm going to act like I'm cleaning your house. Yeah, I'm going to act, and now I know how to clean your house in a movie, and I don't have to ask anybody how to do it. You know, That's it's amazing. it's it's just like it never bothered me. I, I was a nanny for a while for really really rich people. So when you're growing up in Miami, and you're doing like one incredible, you're feeding, you're feeding yeah. your your art, right? And you're feeding this this thing that you just love, and obviously can't get enough of. You just mentioned. ADHD. Mm. So is that something when you look back now, for a lot of performers and a lot of friends of mine who've come on the show, either 
who had dyslexia or ADHD or any of number of things that made traditional learning really frustrating because the language didn't exist till much more recent history to kind of understand what was going on. The theater saved them. Actually, it might be hard to read, but if they had time to memorize something and work with it and repeat it, all these different ways in which the theater was a place where they felt able to do what they were meant to do in the way that they were meant to do it at school. Was that true for you? Well, the extraordinary thing about learning is that if you know anything about it, which is why I feel so terrible about public schools, which I completely support, there's no time to look at each child and go, how do you learn? Right. Hello, individual person. Yeah, what's the best way for you to learn? They just can't do that. They don't have the money. They don't have the resources. Um, I was always very well behaved and nice and a little bit funny and so, but quiet. And uh, so I just did, I remember in second grade, I was, we had to read The Red Pony. And I would stay up, it was two o'clock in the morning. My mother was like, what are you doing? And I would always have to stay up really late to, right. to do my homework. And I kept trying to read this chapter, this chapter, this chapter, kept going over. I couldn't remember. And so when we got to class the next day, the teacher was going to ask everybody questions about the, the chapter. And she asked me, said, so Katie, what happened in chapter eight? And I said, well, you know, that pony was red. Mm-hmm. And that little girl got on that pony and she rode and she rode hard and the pony was sweating and hot. And she got to the store and she found the magic box. And the teacher was like, what are you talking about? And I thought I could convince the teacher that my copy of the book was different than everyone else's. How do they know my copy doesn't say this? My copy could say this. So it was, I never, I always tried. I just thought I was a little bit dumb. Mm. Isn't that funny? I know now that I'm not, but I always thought I'm really good at imagining and I'm really good at performing in theater and studying and learning and being empathetic. But maybe I'm just not that smart. Because my friends, who were very smart, Cynthia and Christy, they, I would watch them. They didn't bring their books home. I thought, how is it? I don't understand how it's fair. Yeah. <laughs> if you could be valedictorian and you left your books in your locker the whole year, and I got my books home. I'm up till two in the morning. I got a tutor. I, I how how is this fair? The measuring of uh, success and in intellect, I think, is way way off. I don't know how we're I don't know how we'll ever fix that, other than having individuals in your life that can say, "This is who you are. This is how you learn. These are your strengths, and you're okay." I never, I mean, I never had that, so I just thought I was a little bit dumb. But I'll tell you an interesting story. Uh, I always had a terrible time learning my lines. But once I did, I'm, lear- I'm doing this show right now, Edward Albee's uh, Home Life and Zoo Story. And I said to the cast, I was like, yes, but I need to stay after for three hours because learning lines is like giving birth to an adult-sized porcupine every day. It's just awful for me. So... I could always learn my lines and then have them in my bones. And when you're in the theater, you have rehearsal and it's three sides and the fourth wall is there and nothing changes. Props are always the same. Sets the same. When I'm on set on a film, you shoot one side with 60 hairy crew members Mm -hmm. uh, and a few beautiful women on one side. They shoot you. You're shooting the same scene then. You wait two hours. The entire 60 people shift around. They take out the couch. They take out the wall. They take out the window. Now you're in a different place spatially and everything goes out the window. 
and people think I'm flaky or they think I don't know my lines or what, you know, what's. So I remember when I was going to work with Michael J. Fox, I thought, let me go and get tested because I don't want to be the person on set that's going to hold us up. Mm-hmm. Not that I ever held anybody up, but I got nervous right. and anxiety ridden. In. And I thought, Michael's got to have a wide berth to have whatever he's having physiologically. Um, and so I want that time or that fraction of anxiety to go to him. I want to be stable. So let me go get tested. Uh, let me see what my learning thing is. Like, what the fuck's wrong with me? And you had never done that before. Well, my mother did it when I was a little but not girl. not as an adult. But I was so well-behaved, and she thought, oh, you'll grow out of it. Yeah. And, and, and And she put it away, and she feels bad about that. I wish she hadn't, but... She was just like, eh, yeah. Too mm-hmm. many things they're asking us to do, and it's weird, and yep. all these things we have to do extra. And it's you're so nice, and you're it's fairly good. attractive, and everybody likes you. So who cares? Great. So I uh, wanted to get tested because I knew my brain was different, and uh, and so I testing was like six thousand dollars, and it was just like, oh, do I really want? It? And people said, you know, your brain's already formed. Can you really change it? And somebody has suggested that I go get tested for ADHD. And I went and I was like, poster girl. And that has been such a relief and such a gift in my life because I go, oh, I totally get it now. It's so great. And the first time I took medication, I was washing the dishes and I was like, oh, my God, I'm washing the dishes and that's all I'm doing. Wow. So it really helped. I'm just washing the dishes. Mm -hmm. Oh, my God. Is this how it is? Is this how everybody else's brain is? Because usually I'm washing the dishes, and I'm so far away in other places. Right. Darren will be watching the television. Darren's my husband. Uh, Darren Yeah, he is. Yeah. (laughs) We'll be watching the television, and I will get – he'll flip the channel for like three minutes, and I will get emotionally – involved in the story within three seconds. A, com- a commercial will go on. I'll get involved. A-, a story will go on. Well, what's wrong with her? Why is her mom sad? Wait, is her mom dying? What's happening? He's like, I'm flipping channels. Go away. What happened there? Oh, is that James Gandolfini? You know, James Gandolfini is in that. Yeah. Oh, 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 yeah. This is that movie. Oh, did you see? I mean, in three, it's terrible. It's like I completely get involved in different worlds all the time. So with little medication, it helps me sort of focus on what I need to focus. But how did you literally, like when you say, okay, when I'm in a play and everything stays the same, once I learn them, somehow it's as if the words are a part of you and a part of the environment. Yeah, that you're, they're just in the world and they're in... Go ahead. But how do you learn lines? Because it's really hard to learn lines under the best of circumstances. So I'll, how I'll tell do you, you do it? You know, I have so many lines in this play, probably more than I've ever had. I mean, mm-hmm. I've done Shakespeare. No, I've, I've done Shaw and If only you got paid by the word. Right? Hey. Had a young man here. I think that I just have created a, a, a... When I was doing... And it's harder with lines that are like whispery, weird lines for television. You know, I think that uh, audio helps me a lot. I'll say my lines with my own voice, and I'll read them at the same time. And then I'll do a version where I, I do the other person's voice. <laughs> it's ridiculous, but I usually do put an accent like this, so I know it's not me. <laughs> so stupid. Smart. But then I try to fill it in. Unless so that you're on hee-haw. And then, <laughs> and then, and then everybody confusing. talks like that. <laughs> you don't know who's talking. <laughs> I'm all the parts. Lana. So um, I think that I've come up with a method just at 46, you know. It's been took, taking me a really long time. But every pilot season, every time I have to learn lines, I never learn lines for auditions, ever. I mean, I know it very well, but I always hold that damn paper because I don't think it's about that anyway. But this time, 
I do it in 15-minute increments. I go 15 minutes, that's all. And usually I get a page or a half a page in 15 minutes. And it's surprising how much I can learn in 15 minutes. And then I stop the clock and I make a little doodle for that 15 minutes. And I get up and I do a couple jumping jacks or push-ups and then I do another 15 minutes. And I try to do an hour a day or an hour and a half a day. So that's like that. the pages – because if I looked at the, the pages that I have to learn, I, I, I have a panic attack. Die. I'm still having a panic attack. Right. I still have pages to learn. Okay. So that's how I've done it this time. I hope that wasn't too boring, that whole no, thing. No, I want to know because I'm exactly going to do that next time. For me, I don't do jumping jacks. I give myself little rewards like, okay, now I can go on Pinterest. <laughs> Right? Do all these things. Right? Really, I should be doing jumping jacks and push ups, and I'm going to do that instead next time. They say, I don't know. I mean, it's no fun, by the way. But they Pinterest say that is fun. Pinterest, oh God, it's so much fun, isn't it? So much fun. <laughs> but yes, but what do they say? But if the you want physical, your brain to stay focused, I, I think do. it's the physical thing. Yeah. Because I could go, I could go, I had to take Pinterest off my phone mm. because I was there. I was, I went on uh, the internet once, and my, my son loved. He loves puzzles. He's really good at them. And I thought, let me look at the company because some of them have like weird uh, shards that go in, like the wood is not polished and get in your fingers. That's not good. What's it called? Like um, little wood chips. Splinters. Yeah. Yeah. I'm like, screw you. Let's get this. This is a really good quality puzzle. And it's called. Let's get more of these. Yes. This is called Mud Puppy. It's a wonderful company. So I'm looking up Mud Puppy. An hour later, I am looking at Japanese aquarium fish. Specialty fish. Right. And I am lost in this world. Mm-hmm. I know their habitat. I know which ones, how they mate. It's, it's, it, and I'm like, how, how, how did this on happen to earth me? am I looking at Japanese fish right now? And I'm almost buying one. Yeah. <laughs> like, what yeah. is going on? Well, they so, will not give you splinters. <laughs> so, in a way, it's a win. Look it's up a win puppy for fish. They're so cute. I oh will. My God, they're so cute. I will. So, that's how I have to do it because if I go on Pinterest, I'm lost. I'll give myself like an hour of that stuff after I'm done, and but I have to be yeah. done. I have to be done with learning. All right. Well, I know that at the beginning you were saying it wasn't about singing, but your ability, and you said you were a little bit funny. You got by because you were well-behaved, attractive, and a little bit funny. And <laughs> what I would say is gorgeous, hilarious, and also the idea that you can act and sing the way you do is a great gift. And at some point, you must have realized, like, I can make them laugh and I can also hit some pretty powerful notes. Do you You remember that connection? You know, I'll say that I've always sung, because it's kind of what you do when you're a kid. You don't really do, you know, Fool for Love, the monologue from Fool for... You know, it's like, you. although I did. I auditioned for Juilliard when I was 17. Fool for Love, Medea. Hello. Why didn't I get in? (laughs) Didn't get in the first time. Second time, it was like Toilets and Cressida, and I believe I pulled out Fool for Love again. Um, with your pussy or something like that. <laughs> they were like, this is incredibly <laughs> offensive. I loved Sam Shepard. Oh, got to work with him last year, uh, last couple of years uh, before he died. Yeah. So anyway. Do you know what? This is a true story about mm. Sam Shepard. When I also waitressed back in the day, and I, and I have been heard on many podcast interviews and gone on print, I love waitressing. I love waitressing, and I... Love waitressing. That's what I want to say. Wow. I, I really did, and I do. I was working at a restaurant on the Upper West Side. I was waitressing. I was in an acting class at the same time, and I was working on 
um, Alive the Mind mm. as a scene. And one evening, I'm have my shift, and Sam Shepard walks in, and he's sitting at the bar. <gasps> and I have, of course, my copy of the play in my purse, mm-hmm. and I was having a really hard time with it. It was like the character. I was very confused. I mean, his his mm-hmm. his work is poetry and esoteric, and you know, just otherworldly. Yes. I'm from Teaneck. Let's just yeah. explain it yeah. that way. And I was like, hey, Mr. Shepard, first of all, what a thrill to have you in my restaurant. Um, also, <laughs> the also, Alone Living Restaurant. <laughs> Roberts. Um, also, I, I know this is crazy, but I'm working on this play of yours, and I'm a little, I'm having trouble, and I wonder if, like, could I ask you about a certain part? And he was like, yeah, when are you done? And I was like, oh, mm-hmm. I'm done. And he's like, I'll be here. So I get off my shift and I sit at the bar with him. He walks through the play with me. Stop it. He also did that thing that all great playwrights do, which <sighs> is I don't know what it means. Right? Like he wasn't interested at all Very in what it means. And But you're like, okay, but my yeah, but acting teachers. <laughs> I got to figure out what it means. So give me a hand here. <laughs> but like... Did not hit on me, nothing inappropriate, like was a prince. Like, oh. was like, what do you want to know? I'll do my best to try to oh help you. Oh, my God. I love that. That makes me cry. I know. I got to watch him. Um, we did a show together called Bloodline, and I got to watch him act in, in the economy. You go, oh, that's a movie star. You know, he, Well, he tell me about that. Like, what, and, what was, like, he would just show up and... Yeah, he kind of, you know, he wasn't in the best of moods all the time because I don't think he was feeling well, but we didn't know that at the time. Right. And he would kind of say some of the lines and not some of the lines, and as he should because he's Sam Shepard. Yeah, don't worry. <laughs> you want to edit? You want to improvise? Fine. We got this. Bring it, Sammy. Yeah. And, and he would just sort of, you'd think that he wasn't doing much. And then you watch the show. And then you watch the show, and it's just, I mean, it's its otherworldly. It's like the way that he transcends. Meanwhile, I'm like, where are you going? Why are you not here? <laughs> I'm very upset with you, husband. Um, Normally, Obutz and I played husband and wife, I and of course, him. we're both like, no. Nah. <laughs> so I call it my whisper acting phase of my career. I, everything I did, I just sort of like I'm standing next to Sissy Spacek and Linda Cardellini, Linda Cardellini once, and I had a cue, and Jacinda Barrett, the three of them have lines, and then I have a cue, and I open the door. And everybody's talking like this. I don't know. Because we have these very powerful mics between our breasts. and That's all you need. It goes, oh, so I have to do uh, I think Kiefer Sutherland really started it with 24. Every line. I think he's doing every a master ri- class in that. You every can see them rid- on yes. Facebook. Every ridiculous line he sells because he says it all like this. Like you're president. Okay, right. You are president. And so uh, they would, everybody would talk like that. And I'd be like, you guys, I am standing right next to you. And I cannot hear anything you're saying. I get it. You're all movie stars. But I should be able to hear you in person. And would they like, they'd be like, oh, sorry, Katie. Yeah. yeah. Sorry. Anyway. <laughs> I was like, just hit my leg when, it, when you're done, sissy. Just hit my leg. I mean, it was like, and then you see them on screen, and they're just like these gorgeous, perfect, I mean, perfect, I know. beautiful, like you know, coal miners' daughters. That's coal what you see. Coal miners' daughters. Would is what she they sing? Are. Did she ever sing? Yeah, Did people she's sing the on best. Set? She's such a girl's girl. Such a loving. You know, those women that just Maternal embrace you like you. It's like, just yes. you feel safe. I get and, that a lot. Sissy Spacek and Alana Levine. Very similar. <laughs> Twinsies. <laughs> 
couldn't play her in her 40s. <laughs> um, so she uh, she's the best. But we had so much fun down there together. Oh, we had so much fun. We were in the Florida Keys, and uh, it was it was heaven. It was and heaven. Sam Shepard, would he tell you know? You know, Sam Shepard, he... I would have to. I he you tickle him. Sammy, come play with me. He, uh, I would have to, you know, Norbert and I were the nerds on the show, and I'd sit, you know, waiting in the hot sun with him going like, so in um, Barry Child were all his obscure plays, you know, when David Strait there and did that play. What was it called? The play that took place in Mexico, and and he was filled with mud, and, and then he wouldn't remember, and... Norbert would. would, yeah, and then or or yeah, Sam didn't remember Simpatico, you know, that that play Simpatico used. He, um, yeah, he did. He it's sort of like he's moved on to other things, and and uh, I'd like to read his book that he just wrote. Uh, he was a really, really interesting, really interesting man, quiet man, but I wanted more from him than I wanted the Sam that I stared at uh, in my mind. In the black and white picture, yeah, six plays by Sam. That. Oh, Remember that? Are you oh, kidding? My God. Do you know it's He's so like, funny? Yeah, I don't remember. <laughs> we are we are purging in our home. Oh yeah, don't purge and, that, right? And like every time uh-uh. we've moved, you go through the books and you bring like, that one people, with you. Of course, I was like, there are libraries who could use these books, or schools who Mm-mm. need these books. And every time Dominic and I were always like, that stays. I mean, the Sam Black and White Sam Shepard six plays cool by for Sam love, Shepherd, and it's all it? yeah, 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 yeah. He, I mean, he always was a great uh, conversationalist and could talk about anything, but like going back to like, so, you know, when I was doing the scene, you know, uh, Norbert and I were nerdy. It I was loved fun. Norbert and everything, but every once in a while, still to this day, I will just think of the last five years. And oh. did you see that oh my production? God, yes. I didn't see it, but I know it. The, the, just the, the music from yeah. it, and it just um, it breaks my baby. heart. Do you know, let's talk about singing for a second. Okay. Jason Robert Brown. Very wonderful. Andrea Burns, who's my best friend from actually Miami. We went to New World School of the Arts together in Miami. And uh, that was the school that became, Payback became sort of New World School of the Arts, which was writ- run by Richard Richard, not Richard Price, that's the writer. Not Richard Nixon. Richard Klein. <laughs> okay. Who developed LaGuardia School for the Arts. Okay. So New World School of the Arts was the real one deal. of the greatest Incredible. schools. Teachers from all over the country. Um, I had met Uta Hagen there, came for a workshop once. It was it, incredible. Um, Can we put a pin on that? Sure. sure. Uda, yes. Because you yes. mentioned her yes, of course. in your Tony speech. Yes. So let's figure out how you met her once to thank you, Uta Hagen. But we'll... we'll Circle back to that. She is my lover. Okay. Um, but uh, singing, Jason Robert Brown. Yes. So we kind of hung out with, together because they were old, old friends. And he said, you know, I'm writing this new musical. And can you come over and sing some of it for me? And it was, Jamie is over and Jamie is gone. Jamie is And I still hurry. And I sang it. And I said, you know what? You need a better singer than me. And I say that most humbly and most, um, uh, I know I have great skills. I know what I'm worth. But the times that I have tried to cast Sherry Renee Scott instead of myself, <laughs> yeah. there's so many people that I'm like, Heidi Blickenstaff, like yeah. star. Like, I know what you're looking for. And I'm it in your mind, the funny sort of honest, whatever, ballsy, whatever it is you're looking for. I'm, I'm it. But this person is also it. And she sings a hell of a lot better than I do. So the thing that I wanted to say about my singing voice is I'm so comfortable with the gift that I have singing-wise, but it's not a voice that 
you know, there's better singers than I am. Mm. So I love the character songs. Mm -hmm. And it's actually made my career, um, it's opened up my career so much because I think if I sang better, if I was a better singer, it's bad English, if I sang better, if I was a better singer, people would only want to hear me sing. (laughs) Do you know what I mean? No, and you've gotten to act in these incredible roles, Yeah, and I think it's because I don't sing like, you know. Like Sherry Renee Scott. Yeah, I mean, she is... An angel. I mean, an angel she's voice. amazing. Or Judy Kuhn or yeah. Andrea Burns. And they just, you know, and I have, I know what I can do. And, and I'm really grateful for it. And I'm comfortable with it. But I always say to people, you know who you really want. And I know I'm right. I'm not being self-deprecating. Well, These are I'm my excited gifts. because I love casting friends, too. Right? And so All the time. we put our shingle up of, like, <laughs> Finnerin and Levine casting, I just literally feel like I have gone into so many auditions doing exactly that. Right? I'm like, you guys, do you know who's in the waiting room? And they're like, yeah, we have a whole list. They just She's perfect. <laughs> So I'm so thrilled to catch up with you, but I cannot wait. Yeah. Can I stay yeah. here when Katie comes in? Um, I bring forth my gifts, but you should see what's waiting By the, the way, <laughs> I'm sorry, not for nothing. You have a great surprise in store because I know who's behind <laughs> me. Um, so when you first started, it sounds like you auditioned for Juilliard with some pieces that were questionable at the time. But I, all but I want to say to you something. Yes. Not, what feels better than that, though? Nothing. It's like it it feels so great to be so generous like that, to see people that have such great gifts and go, hey, everybody, look over there. Like, I know you think I'm great and that feels so good, but look over there. There's enough for everybody. So I do want to go forward, if you don't mind, to you did go to a conservatory of some kind, but then left and studied with Uta Hagen. Is this true? I went to uh, the Carnegie Mellon and... um, I was so grateful to go there. It was a great conservatory, uh, wonderful school. Um, but my dad called in the middle of the year and said, "You know, we're gonna have to like, you know, this is a, we're gonna have to get some money or something. Um, what do you call it it's when you get a grant or something aid like or, an aid or something?" Right. And I said, "You know what? Um, I think I'm I'm gonna move to New York. I'm gonna move to New York." We had been studying Uta Hagen's book in uh, our acting class and doing the exercises. And I had met her very briefly at, in high school when yeah. she came to teach. And I thought, you know what? I think I'm just going to go study with her rather than read her book. And I snuck out of school for a weekend, and I went and I auditioned. And I got in. I did The Jewish Wife, Berthold Brecht, The Jewish Wife, mm-hmm. and um, which my, my, my aunt's dear friend Abby uh, found for me. Anyway, the Jewish wife. And I got in and I, I said to, to, to my dad, um, I'm, I'm moving to New York. And I did. I was 19. I had $300. And I worked at Tavern on the Green because I thought it was pretty. I saw the lights from the street. And you I was like, wrong. I'm going to go work there. Did and you have friends here? Did you have family here? I had you... one friend, Andrea Burns who uh, got a job like two weeks after I got here in Germany. So she left two weeks after I got but here. But you had so her apartment. I had her. And Randy Emmett. I lived with Randy Emmett, who is now a huge movie producer, a real go-getter. We were friends in high school. And uh, we lived together in this apartment on 74th Street that we never cleaned. Even with all that cleaning skill. <laughs> Right. Well, I was cleaning other people's houses. What do you want from me? It's like a busman's holiday. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> then I got this beautiful miracle of a rent control apartment on the Upper East Side. And I lived there for 20 years in a 420 square foot apartment. And it was heaven. Heaven. Didn't have a TV for the first like 
12 years. And then somebody finally said, like, you really do need to know what ER is. Okay. <laughs> you know, I need to, you need to kind of watch television for pilot season. So, but yeah, I, I, it was great. It was a beautiful time. So what was your first job? My first job was, I was 20 years old, and it was uh, George C. Scott on Borrowed Time with Nathan Lane, Conrad Bain, Teresa Wright. And I was an understudy for the female lead. And it was glorious because I got to watch everyone work every day. And when I first came in, it was a circle in the square, and I came up those stairs and came down those stairs, and everyone was on break. And all I saw was George C. Scott, like, looking down at the set, if you know where I'm talking about. Yeah. You're upstairs, and then you look down, and it's a circle in the round, so it's quite a ways down. And I see his sort of outline of his of his body, and he's looking down. And, and I said, um... Hello, Mr. Scott. Um, I'm here. And he said, oh, uh, hello. I said, uh, well, um, what should I do? We're not going to do anything until we get this fucking tree fixed. <laughs> that was my first introduction to him. He called me darling. And, I, and it was such a wonderful thing to not have been. I feel kind of bad for young, very young actors who get thrown into huge roles because you don't, know how to behave. You don't know what the hierarchy is. You don't know what the protocol is. You don't yeah. know what the esprit de corps is meant to be in the theater or in film or whatever. I feel bad because you need to be taught. You need to be shown what that is. And I got to watch George and Teresa Wright. I used to sit in her dressing room. You know, she was, you know, a famous movie star. And I got a chance to absorb everything and see how people were on the coffee break and how they behaved. And the stage manager beautiful guy named Bill, who I just ran into recently, who taught me how to be. You know, I'd ask him questions, and somebody said something about the the woman who got the role was not the original choice. Uh -huh. And I said, what do you mean she wasn't the original choice? He said, yeah. And if the other person got it, you wouldn't have gotten this job either. Like, it was sort of like, put this me in my place. Yeah. This put me in my place. Like, take it easy, you know. No, she wasn't, and you're not always the original choice, so just take it easy. People that taught me those things, I was always very grateful for. You know, one time I asked a man for um, to get me stamps, the driver to get me stamps on a movie set, and the famous actress sitting next to me said, you know what, that's not his job. So you have you're to— You're like, could you? Yeah. <laughs> Do you have any stamps? No, but it's like— it's Meryl? You, you need to be taught those things. Right, because you, be, you don't especially know. Especially when you're being treated like royalty, when there's someone getting you coffee, getting you—can I dress you? Throw your clothes on the floor. I'll pick them up for you. Uh, I'm going to pick you up on time. Oh, you're a little late? That's okay. We love you. You're the— <laughs> it's, it's very difficult to not lose your way when someone's doing something for you all the time and you're being treated because there's millions of dollars behind you, you're being treated with kid gloves. That's not healthy for anyone. So it was great to be an understudy, to see how all of that works. And, and to have these little kind of moments of being wrapped on the knuckles, right? To kind not of go, that, I mean, like, it only it happened a couple way. of times, but I got it. Mm -hmm. You know, I got it. I'm going to wrap you on the knuckles right wrap now. Wrap me on the knuckles. <laughs> no, just observing how, and then other people make mistakes, and I go, oh, well, that's how it's done. That's how it's yeah. done. And I saw who the good leaders were and who I wanted to be, how I wanted to behave if I was in that position. And who are people like that that come to mind when you think of, like, the number one on the call sheet or the Judith Light, Victor Garber, Patti Lapone. You know, people with real gravitas, like people who are going to take care of your people. 
people that are strong enough to say to the director, you know what, knock it off. Actually, no one's strong enough to do that but me. Mm-hmm. Um, Is that you? Yeah. Have you done that? Yes. When the director was not being kind to you or to other people in the I, show? I just, I remember being the whipping boy a couple of times in early in my career. Vivian yes. Madeline was a director that was just, like, awful to me. I was the little chippy. I was the little blonde. It was uh, in a show I did in, um, uh, and he was just, like, condescending and you're a little blonde thing and people think you're dumb. And that's okay because that's a great, you know, you can be very observant when people mm-hmm. assume something of you. And... I just didn't like it. And I remember uh, Derek Gutierrez, who's an extraordinary director, one of the best there is and what was, one of the best there yeah. was. He's passed now. My, one of my favorite directors. He was treating me kind of like shit. He was like condescending and assuming again that I was a dumb little blonde thing. And I remember one day, um, you know, inside jokes about me and stuff. I played the maid and the heiress with Terry Jones. And I remember one day he said something and he was just, and I walked to the center of the stage, and it was lit. And I said, fuck you and your little dog. And I think I was 24. And he looked at me, and he went, <laughs> and just started laughing. But it's like, at this point, not everybody has that capacity to to the guts to do that. So what happens so, after that? So he so, laughs. You're standing there. And then he there. respected me forever. You, like we were gonna do, a, we were gonna do Born Yesterday together on Broadway. We were gonna do. And he got sick and he passed, but it's like he respected me. Mm-hmm. But I feel like not everybody that young is able to do that for themselves. So I, I really believe if somebody sees that happening in a company, you take the director aside, or if you're the lead, you take the director aside, or you diffuse it somehow. If the director's crazy, you diffuse it. I sang Oklahoma one time. A director was abusing someone, and I went, Oklahoma, where the wind comes sweeping on the plane. And people started to join in, and it was just sort of like shifting yep. shifting the energy. Like, not in my neighborhood. Mm-hmm. Go be – but not, not here. And if you want to fire me, that's fine. That's fine, but no more. It's just not okay. Not okay. Anywhere. I hate when I see it in Hollywood, too. I hate when I see actors do that in Hollywood because – they're holding up sixty million dollars, and if their their feelings get hurt or they they're grouchy and they 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 lay into somebody who doesn't deserve it, then production might get held up, and yeah, it might get held up. It's still not okay. Still not okay. Well, I feel like more than ever, this is the conversation to have mm-hmm. because, um, in a big public way. Women in every business, but they've been most noted in the entertainment industry, are coming forward. In and this a lot way. of the time, young gay men too. Young gay men are that. That happens with them too, which I've noticed. Yeah, that's not okay. Yeah, not okay. Not when Katie Finneran is there. Yeah, I did that. I did it recently on a show too. I mean, with the with that situation, mm-hmm. I didn't do anything with HR or anything. But I said, you know, yeah. So. um What's going on here? My friend here is, I, I sort of put it out there that I knew and better stop. There's ways of doing it, letting people know that it's not okay. Well. That people are watching. Yeah. You have yeah. to, people have to stand up for one another. Have you found for the most part that your workplaces have been happy? Yes. Very happy. I think it's about finding the joy and like the, the, the excitement of being there and doing what you want to do. And it's just so thrilling for me. And when other people don't feel that way, I think my greatest work is letting him, them have their experience and not trying to bring them over. 
But I always kind of want to go, the weather's good over here when you want to join anytime. So I have to tell you that I have seen you in many things, but I have an indelible memory. Maybe that's not even the right vocabulary word. But Dominic and I, the first Broadway show we saw together as a couple was Noises Off. And so I had seen you before, I've seen you after, but it's so memorable for me because it was the first time I was with the love of my life who I ended up marrying. And, you know, it was amazing. And he knew Tom McCarthy and and we were going, I guess, for Tom. And there were so many amazing people in that show. And I remember watching you walk into a door repeatedly in that show and literally looking at Dominic and, like, grabbing him as hard as I could, going, who is, like, what is happening? How is this the funniest person on the planet? I mean, when you when you were nominated for a Tony, I was not surprised. When you won a Tony, I was not surprised. Because as far as I was concerned, I was the nominating committee and the voter and, like, the speechwriter and the, like, like, of course. Like, this has to happen because... I know a couple of things about comedy. I enjoy comedy. But what you were doing was like on another plane of comedic genius and so grounded in reality, which is why it was even funnier. And it was the best thing. Like if I have to be on my deathbed and kind of quickly catalog a couple of like the best moments in the theater, well, that would be one of them. The most unbelievable thing I'd ever seen. I can't even believe I'm friends with you because the idea that I'm friends with the person who did that is so nutty to me. But I do have to say thank you for giving me some of the most joyous moments I've ever had in an audience, A. And B, like, are you not afraid to try anything? First of all, thank you so You're much welcome. for that. That You're such welcome. a great birthday Happy gift. birthday. Oh, that's such that's a beautiful, so... eloquent way of saying all of that. Thank you so much. Welcome, thank you so darling. much. I'm not afraid to try anything. I think that's that's like a blessing that I have is that I'm I don't get if you set up a safe playground for me, I'll try anything. If you don't make me feel safe, you can suck it. Mm. You know what I mean? I know I, you don't you don't deserve me to try anything. To, yeah. But if you give me a safe place, I'll try anything. And I know when it works, and I know when it doesn't work. Do you have a funny audition story? I'm doing this play called, uh, right now, The Zoo Story and Home Life, which yeah. I'm working on with uh, Lila Neugebauer, who is, talk about women that we want to, like, champion, and she is... An incredible director. An incredible director. And I, I never use this word, but I think she's a genius. Mm-hmm. And I think we're going to hear a lot from her. And That's I think exciting. that she gets into those dark corners and everything. Uh, and she's... Just incredible. So look out for her. I auditioned for Edward Albee's Who's Afraid of Virginia Woolf. It was a production that he was directing in, I think, in Texas or somewhere. And I went in to play uh, audition for Honey. The casting director knew me well and, and knew that I had just been in pilot season in Los Angeles. And she came in. She said, hey, Katie, how you doing? This is Katie Finner. And hey, Katie, how'd you like L.A.? I said, oh, you know, I really didn't like it. It's not for me. I just didn't feel right about it. It's just, I just really didn't like it. And Edward Albee looked at me and said, then why are you here? I said, what? Then why are you here? I, I, I don't, I don't know what you mean. I mean, I'm here. I just want to audition. And he stood up and he said, I don't understand why you're here if you don't like my play. He thought I he 
thought she said, how do you like the play? Who's who's afraid of Virginia Woolf? And that this 22-year-old badass is saying, you know, listen, play Mr. Alvey. You really ought to get it. Don't quit your day job, Mr. Alvey. Just a couple of notes. Can you believe that? Isn't that a great story? Oh, my God. But, like, but like I mean, on so many levels, it was so awful. And I was like, no, no, L.A., Los Angeles. Since then, I've never said L.A. I say Los Angeles. <laughs> I'm not so kidding. <laughs> Los Angeles. I don't ever want to be misunderstood ever again. Oh, my God. Yeah. Well, yeah. I hope that Edward Albee is smiling down uh. on the production you're about to do of his play, not to be confused with L.A., Los Angeles. Katie Finneran, Thank you're you. a dream. Thanks. Happy birthday. Thanks for having me. Thanks Thank for you. spending your birthday with me. Thank you. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says Contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc.